This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The Rays Radio Network proudly presents This Week in Rays Baseball. Here's your host, Neil Solons. We appreciate you joining us, boy. Uh, on the eve of Super Bowl Sunday means baseball is certainly right around the corner. In fact, we're going to have our first uh, Countdown Opening Day show next Thursday, and the guy who will be hosting that is uh, uh, entering yet another year with Dave Wills' uh, voice of the Rays, and that is Andy Freed. Andy, uh, we're going to hear from a lot of other guys during the course of our podcast, including some players and some prospects, but it's great to have you on, and I hope it's been a uh, uh, I'm sure it's been a quick off season and a busy off season, but uh, it's it's good to be getting back to baseball pretty soon. It sure is, and don't sell yourself short too. You have to be a major, major, major part of uh, what we do. So while I'm Dave uh, during during the games, you are as well, and uh, we're, we're we're our own little broadcast family. So very, very excited about getting this thing started again. And, just like you, it can't get here fast enough. And I think there are a lot of reasons for interest for me. I mean, you know, adding a Charlie Morton to the rotation has me very excited. Adding a Mike Zanino to the catching situation has me um, intrigued. And beyond that, I think probably mostly is getting to see a lot of these young players continue to gain opportunity and continue to grow and just see how they evolve is going to be a big part of the storyline. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm very, obviously, I'm extremely intrigued by this team. I, I think the Rays are one of the most exciting and intriguing teams in baseball in terms of cutting edge and things, risks that they're willing to take. You know, there's kind of a narrative going on. I've even, I've even heard it from, you know, Eric Neander and, and Ryan Bloom and, and people that cover the Rays that everything went right last year. I mean, I, I don't think everything went right last <laughs> year. But I, I think a lot of things went right. You know, the, the opener thing didn't exactly blow up on them. It kind of turned into a, a new cutting-edge strategy. But, you know, there were plenty of injuries to this team. There was plenty of things that did not go to plan. You know, Carlos Gomez did not perform really the way that we had hoped offensively. You know, Jake Bowers ended up having a, a pretty bad second half of the year. Uh, so, in other words, not to single those two guys out, but things didn't go exactly perfectly, and they still won 90 games. So uh, I think the lesson is very rarely do you get a season where – just about everything goes perfectly. When it does, you get a season like what the Red Sox did last year. Mm-hmm. You know, just about everything they wanted to worked out perfectly. That's when you get like an '84 Tigers or an '86 Mets or you know a '69 Orioles until the World Series. That's how you have those incredible years. There are plenty of things that didn't go right for the Rays that that I think still could. Now, did some things go better than expected? Like, did the Rays think that Joey Wendell would be able to perform offensively? The way he did, I don't think so. I mean, I don't think they expected Brandon Lau to rock it through the system the way he did. So, yeah, there were some unexpected surprises. But I think, and you and I say this all the time, at the end of 162 games, if you win 90 games, that's deservative of a 90-win team. So, to me, the Rays are a legit 90-win team right now. And from the subtractions they made and from the additions they made, I feel very good about it, except for... The Rays are going to have to really rely on young arms and that bullpen late, and I still would like to see them be able to pick up some sort of veteran or two 
veteran relievers that have done it before, I think that could go a long way. Because even look at what Sergio Romo did last year. You know, Romo wasn't exactly always locked down as a closer, but his confidence, I think, does breed to the rest of the group. And uh, overall, I think that has a, a big impact. I think it would help. I think the thing for me that I look at is just what's available on the marketplace now. I mean, you know, I, I don't know how many of those guys, and even at the price tag that they were going for, I mean, the thing that, that stood out to me all off season is while we're still waiting for the shoe to drop on a few remaining big free agents, by and large, relievers went for higher prices than I ever anticipated. People are paying more for bullpen than they are sometimes for position players, which is odd because they pitch so they have such a smaller role in terms of the big picture. Yeah, I mean that is that's absolutely the trend. I mean there there's relievers that are extremely valuable, and there are some bullpens that are really super bullpens right now. And you know guys that might have been starters in other years, or guys that that would have been in a different role, are now really asked to just air it out. You know for an inning. Uh, in, the, in, in any given game, so you have to have a lot of things go right, like the Yankee bullpen, and they're all very, very good. But it doesn't mean that it, that has to be the only way that you can win games uh, also. So, I, you know, I, I don't think the Rays were really ever in a position, and most teams probably shouldn't, to overpay for relievers. Um, I mean, especially with regard to length of contracts. When you start giving these bullpen guys two, three, four-year deals, I mean, look what Kimbrell's looking for mm-hmm. right now, as great as he is. And teams are, are reticent to do it because I do think they have a shelf life. There does come a point where where their stuff becomes uh, a, a little more hittable, or maybe they don't quite have the zip that they have, especially because so many guys are working 60, 70 games also. Not to mention, and I you know teams keep track of this, the amount of times they warm up and really get hot. So there, there's there's a lot that goes into it, and I think the, the, the big market teams can probably risk that stuff because the – the, the risk for them is so much less just from regard to what percentage of their, their payroll it ends up taking up. It's hard for Tim like to do it. So you're going to need guys like Poche and Jabot and, and the continued evolution of Castillo and Alvarado and on and on to have to be good and thrown into the fire in late innings. Uh, for for this team, I think to really get to the next level. Yes, yes, I, I certainly think that's going to be an important part of the year. Heck, I mean, whether it's uh, I, I look at the team, Wilmer Font's out of options. He's going to be an intriguing piece of the puzzle. I mean, does he follow an opener? Does he start? Does he become a multi inning reliever? Because I think we saw that he had pretty good stuff. I mean, you've got him, Yanni Chirinos, Ryan Yarbrough to follow the big three. Um, and then what role does Brent Honeywell or Jose DeLeon play as the season wears on, assuming their health? I mean, I do think there is much more depth now than there was at this time a year ago in pitching, and I would say from a position player standpoint for sure. Oh, I, I think so, absolutely. I mean, I, I think there still could a trade or two coming. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't think it's a guarantee to happen, but I would not be surprised, uh, especially with regard to uh, to the Rays would like to add, I think, to their bullpen. Uh, and they do have so many position players right now, and we don't know who they really are you know, behind the scenes banking on being a part of their future. I mean, to me, the, the, the shocking part of the offseason was the trade of Jake Bowers. You know, li- little did we know that the Rays felt that he was someone that they could trade. I, I just did not see that one coming. I don't think a lot of people did because he's still young, uh, but maybe that second half scared him off. Maybe the evolution of some of the guys like Lau and, and, uh, and Nate Lowe and – uh, some of the other guys coming position-wise allow them to, to make them feel that, that Bowers is less expendable. But that tells you that they that they have their eyes really on some of these other guys. And 
who is and who isn't. Only they really know, but I, I wouldn't be shocked for them to make some sort of a bold move if that right reliever comes along. I tend to think that at this point, the free agent relievers would probably not be the ones that the Rays would sign, but perhaps, perhaps make a trade uh, for one of those veteran relievers. But, you know, to, to get something, you got to give up something. Agreed. And uh, I do feel that uh, the Rays do, do believe Nathaniel Lowe is, is a lot closer uh, to the big leagues than many people may think. And, and I think he definitely can play a role this year. Um, um, and I'm kind of excited. That's one of the things I get excited about for spring training is just seeing some of the young guys who may end up helping at some point this year. Um, oh, absolutely. Oh, a- absolutely. I mean, I-, I think this is a very exciting time to be a Rays fan because a lot of these names that we've been hearing about for so long and all of these, these prospect lists that come al- along and you see all these names, but we've never seen them pitch, except for maybe on you know a video, we'll finally get a chance to, to see them. I mean, I-, I-, I know in terms of the roster, he may not be there, but just hearing about Colin Pochet and look at the numbers that that guy put up, how could you not be intrigued at that right now? I mean, you both know, too, that, you know, the players in the majors is quite a big difference. There's an interest and then doing it on a regular basis in the majors. But when those numbers are so good and so dominating, you've got to think that that relates somehow. Uh, but then again, we've, we've been fooled by that in the past. I mean, I think of guys like Josh Lukey over the years or, or Vela or Salas or other guys that had really eye-popping numbers in the minors, and when they got to the majors, it never really clicked. You just kind of think that with the volume of high-level prospects the Rays have right now, that a decent percentage of them will click mm-hmm. and, and formulate this bullpen. And like you say with, with Nathaniel Lowell also, I mean, it, there's, a, there's a big difference, as you know, it, to, to not only getting in the majors but staying there. And once once the league can figure out a little bit, you know, you think of a guy like Joey Butler a couple of years ago, was at 15. This is like a journeyman minor league guy that all of a sudden in the majors looked like he was going to be, you know, one of those superstar late bloomer types. And then the league figured him out and then he's never to be heard from again. So it's easy to be fooled, but you want them to come up, have success and sustain the success. And that only happens when you've got the right brain also, not just the physical skills, but dealing with the rejection, dealing with the failure. And there's going to be a lot of guys that go up and down this year, too. So, I, you know, it, these, they ain't robots, as we'd like to say. They're mm-hmm. not just, you know, players on the page. They're three-dimensional young men that will experience some failure this year. And how will they bounce back from that and, and ultimately hope to lead this team to where they want to lead? And we, you know, I think that's what we love about the game is the human aspect. And, and I think we both have such a tremendous love for the game overall, not only, you know, watching this Rays group evolve, but... You know, I, there is something I would like to see in terms of the game right now, and it, it, I don't know if, if they need to set a deadline or what have you, but it seems kind of odd that in the first weekend coming up of February, you still have the two biggest names on the free agent market that still haven't signed in Machado and Harper. And do they need to set it? I mean, would it help? I, I just think from an intrigue standpoint, I, I think most fans of teams want to know who their team is uh, when spring training starts or at least have a better idea. Well, it's funny because you, you always think that the, the order of it is going to be the major dominoes fall and then the other signings start to happen. I, I don't know if that's related as much anymore. It's almost been like a different build-up mm-hmm. where a lot of the younger radar guys have signed have been traded, and then the big guys still aren't. But there's, there's a lot of players besides Harper and yes. Machado that are star players that are not signed. I mean, Dallas Keuchel's not with anybody right now. I mean, mm-hmm. that's just one that, that comes out and, Kimbrell, obviously not. Some may think that he's trying to price himself out of the market and he's waiting. But, you know, guys do get signed late. I mean, J.D. Martinez signed 
mid-spring training last year, and that certainly worked out well. So I think that's what, what they're banking on. But at, at some point, you've got to think they're going to sign with somebody. And if not, then maybe you get a Mustaka situation where they're, for, you know, they're still very, very young. Both those two guys are, what, 26 and 27, Machado and Harper, that maybe a team like the Rays could swoop in and make a one-year deal? I don't know. Wouldn't that be interesting? <laughs> I mean, do you, would you like to, from a, from a promotional standpoint, you know teams are trying to sell tickets and et cetera. I, mean, I just think from an overall game standpoint, it would be great for the game to know where, the, where you know, most people are going, whether it's set a January 31st deadline or whatever it may be. Yeah. Um, I, I think because of the way the last couple off seasons has gone, I, I think I wouldn't be surprised if they start pushing toward that. I wouldn't either, especially because you know the the, the Royals last year, you know, brought Mustakas back when there was suddenly no market for him, which was surprising to everybody. And I can remember talking with a, a high up baseball executive once, and he said, "What a smart deal!" And I'm like, "Why? The Royals aren't going anywhere." He goes, "Yeah, but they're get him. They know they're going to get him for a couple of months. Trade him." get something back, and and it ends up working out well. And, and I could see a team maybe even other than the Rays doing that with some of those guys this year. The question is, would they be willing to do that? Mm-hmm. Uh, so the, no one really knows, but it certainly is. It seems to be some uncharted territory from a free agent standpoint and from a team standpoint trying to decide what they want to do. Do they, does, a, does a team want to take that sort of risk on to do it? And you know, then you look at, to me, if I'm one of those guys, Harper Machado, and you look at like what they happened with Nelson Cruz. You know, what was it, 2014 he signed with the Orioles? Was it, I forgot what year it was now. And then he had that great year. The team was very, very good. They made it to postseason, probably should have gone to the World Series. And then he gets the big multi-year deal after that. So, you know, that, that's something, too, that you wonder is floating around in some of those guys that could I go somewhere and, and maybe wait another year for the big long-term deal because they're so young if they stay healthy. You know, they should be great. And then that's good for the teams, too, because nothing's better than a guy that's motivated for a big contract the next year. No question about that. Andy, it's going to be fun to follow um, and uh, enjoy what I would call the last weekend, so to speak, before we start to really ramp up. Countdown to opening day, of course, is going to be Thursday on our flagship and on the network. And uh, before long, we'll be getting into spring training games. Uh, yep. ha- have some fun. Well, for you and me and Dave and everybody involved, I mean, it's never not baseball season, but <laughs> Looking forward to the rest of the world catching up to us again because I know uh, we're all ready to go. Sounds like a good plan. Andy, thanks for coming on. Sounds good. Thanks, Neil. Again, thanks to Andy Freed for coming on our latest podcast, and you can catch him on our first Countdown to Opening Day show with Dave Wills starting at 7 o'clock on Thursday, February the 7th. Look forward to that first show. Now, on this Thursday, where we release this podcast, the Rays also have announced their spring training roster. 64 players total. Andy and I alluded to one of those. He was the Rays minor league reliever of the year last season. That is one Colin Pochet. You can catch our full list of all the spring training invites at RaysRadio.moblogs.com. As far as Pochet goes, first time we had a chance to really chat since he came over from the Diamondbacks organization in the Steven Sousa Jr. trade. And I asked Colin a little bit about... uh, what it meant to get to go to spring training on the big league side and uh, how we found out about it. Uh, first off, thank you, Neil. Um, so they, they pretty much told me right, right after the season ended in Durham, um, I sat down with a couple of people and they kind of let me know what the plans were. And um, obviously it's a huge honor. Um, it's the first step to get into where you want to be, which is on that big league roster. So just to be able to get in there and uh, 
get some time with the coaches and the guys who've already been there before. Um, it's going to be huge. Tell me, you know, your, your season obviously was a tremendous one. I mean, to be named reliever of the year for an organization where your first month was spent with another organization, you were, for people who don't know, a player to be named in the, in the Steven Souza deal from the Diamondbacks. What was that whole experience like being traded during the season? And the adjustment obviously went smoothly. Um, yeah, the adjustment did go smoothly. Um, being traded is, is a weird feeling. Um, it's a little bittersweet cause you're leaving friends with one organization, but you're excited about joining a new one. And, uh, especially, you know, the way I joined the organization is so when the day I actually got traded, um, the Rays double a team Montgomery was coming into town to play Jackson, which is where I was <laughs> already at. So it was a little weird cause all I really had to do was walk through a couple doors and go to the other locker room to be on the other team. So that was a little strange, um, pretty unique situation, but, uh, the transition went smoothly. Everyone with the Rays was super welcoming and friendly and made it, made the transition really smooth. Did you know any guys in the organization other than maybe some ex diamondbacks? Had you come across either college ball, travel ball, uh, uh, wherever it may have been? Um, yeah, there's, there's a few guys who I had known, um, with the D backs. And then I played college ball and grew up playing with Brandon coach who was, uh, mm-hmm. was with the high A affiliate this year, and I played with him in college. So um, there was definitely a few friendly faces. You come from Dallas Baptist, and uh, probably one of the more famous guys out of that school is Ben Zobrist, one of the more famous Rays. Had you known much about the Rays before the trade? Um, not a whole lot. You know, um, I, I'd heard things about you know their the way they're progressive and the way they, they uh, train their pitchers and stuff and their – they're kind of one of the teams on the forefront of uh you know the new technology that's going on in baseball but outside of that that's not too much had been said you obviously you know before this year put up great numbers in 16 and 17 after you were drafted out of Dallas Baptist and and I would hear stories uh from everybody who came up during the course of the year about you what makes you so unique uh because you averaged i mean 14, 15 strikeouts per nine innings. That's phenomenal. Yeah. Um, it's just at the fastball. I think there's, there's just a combination of things that kind of make it deceptive to hitters. Um, with all the data that the Rays gather, they've, they've been able to tell me that. So my, my extension is high. So I'm releasing the ball closer to home plate than other people. Um, the fastball is, is backspinning really true. So to the hitter, the ball, the ball ends up higher in the zone than they anticipate. And uh, just kind of the way my arm motion is, I'm able to kind of hide it behind my body the whole time. So it doesn't really give the hitter a chance to pick it up. So it's really just a combination of all those things kind of just makes it tricky on the hitters, I guess. Has it always been that way? And if not, what adjustments have you made along the way that makes you so tough to pick up, extend so close to home plate, all of those things? Um, ever since I started pitching, uh, around like age 16 or so, it's, it's been that way. It's just kind of something that came natural with the way I throw. And thankfully no one's tried to teach me out of it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and have you always had, I mean, when did you start to learn about a spin rates extension? Have you always gotten swings and missed off your fastball? Because you're not, from what I understand, a really hard thrower, Correct. right? Yeah. So um, I, I, I knew in my head that I was getting these swings and misses, but I never really knew why until I got to DBU 
And the uh, pitching coach there, Wes Johnson, who just got named the uh, Minnesota Twins pitching coach, was there. Mm-hmm. He's kind of one of the the like the first pitching coaches to adopt TrackMan and all that stuff. And so when I threw my my first bullpen after having Tommy John, he kind of sat me down and went over all these numbers and was like, "Look, man, this this fastball is special." And he kind of told me why. And at that time, I didn't really understand any of it, but um, but yeah, he was the one who introduced me to it. Did it click at Dallas Baptist or did it really click in this year? Um, I think it, it really started to click towards the end of my my first professional season, short season in Hillsboro. Uh, I got moved to okay. the pen full time and um, I, I was struggling a little bit. I had a couple outings in a row where I was maybe trying to do too much. And uh pitching coach kind of sat me down and just told me to simplify things and so I went out the next outing and I, I think I threw like 25 of 26 fastballs. And it was that like that was when I, I really clicked in my head that this is this is what I need to do. This is who I am. And this is how I'm going to be able to have success. What else? If, from what I hear, you throw your fastball. You're very committed to it. But what else do you throw when you're not using that pitch? Uh, I throw a slider and a curveball also. But um, yeah, like you said, my fastball is the main weapon and um that's what I'm going to go out there with. It's my best pitch. And so I'm, I'm not going to try to really get beat on something that I don't feel is my best pitch. How important have the Rays uh, emphasized the importance of a second pitch just so you're able to keep guys off it? Obviously, you know, the, the goal is to get to the big leagues and stick in the big leagues. And you've got, and especially in this division, the best hitters in the world. Uh, are are often in this division, especially with Boston and New York. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So during the year, it was definitely something we wo- we worked on, but uh, um, they didn't want to take too much away, take me out of who I am during the year. So they kind of just let me do my thing. But um, this offseason, definitely that's been my main focus is developing those secondary pitches so that um, if guys do get on the fastball, I have something that I can use that's effective as well. You're from Texas, right? So where uh, where's your do you train at Baptist? How have you kind of prepared this off season? And have you trained with other Baptist players or other guys who are in other minor league systems that you've become uh, friends with? Or how's it gone? Uh, it's gone well. I, I'm I'm in Houston this off season, and uh, so I do a lot of my throwing at the at the Texas Baseball Ranch. Um, I'll be working mm-hmm. out with uh, a couple other guys from different organizations and. Um, it's a place where the Rays pitching coaches they have a relationship with. They come down to some of the boot camps that they put on and stuff. So it's definitely a good place to get my work in. And uh, it's really cool to be able to work alongside some other pro players to just kind of keep your competition going. And for you, uh, tell me what it, it uh, you're hoping to gain from camp, um, your, your first big league camp in the Rays system. Um, just looking to kind of gain some experience with some of the guys who have been there before, you know, it's not a new thing for them. And then, uh, just get some time working with the coaches up there. And, uh, you know, to be honest, I'm going to come in and I'm, I'm looking to perform and, uh, looking to make, uh, put some pressure on the front office to have to make some tough decisions. You know, I think one of the, one of the neat things about, um, with the Rays have, done is is they've been able to you know continually build the last couple years and win and win with their own players and trust that those guys learned how to win you were part of a championship club last year in Durham how much do you think winning in the minors um 
helps kind of breed winning as you move up through the chain? Uh, I think it's huge. Um, there's really no way to replicate the uh, the pressure and stuff that goes in with playing in playoff series and stuff like that. And, um, you know, once you get to the big leagues, I have to imagine almost every game feels that way. So for guys to have experience like that, I think it's huge. And I don't, I don't really think there's anything you can do to replace that. And you had a very experienced pitching coach last year in Durham and Rick Knapp. And I know that Nappy has a really good reputation. How did he help your game the most and where did he help it? Nappy's awesome. So he's, he's been around for a while. He's, he's coached Cy Young winners in the big leagues and stuff. And um, the really unique thing with Nappy is he, he is that old school coach who's been around the game for so long, but he's, he's so open and welcoming to the new technology that it's, it's really just a perfect blend of both worlds. And um, so that's, it's really cool to see him constantly striving to get better. Um, It just, it inspires you a lot. And you guys had such a unique bullpen. I mean, I used to hear stories, I mean, uh, of the number of strikeouts you guys collected and, and the numbers that you guys were putting up. How did, who was most helpful to you just in adapting and guys you could kind of pick their brain and, and helped you kind of grow last year? Um, so some of the older guys who were there first, like Adam Kalerick and Kittredge, they were, they were pretty big and keeping it light. And, uh, I mean, they've, they've pretty much seen everything in the game that you could see. And so they were, they were definitely really helpful in kind of guiding you and stuff like that. As a left-hander, are you uh personality wise? Are you a, a goofy lefty or are <laughs> you a quiet lefty? I'm a lefty myself. So, so that's I why I ask. I don't think I am. I have people tell me that they don't really believe I'm left-handed because of that, but <laughs> I, I do think I have some of those traits. And what do you, uh, what do you do to unwind? Because as you know, this game, you know, you don't want to allow the game to consume you. You've got to kind of do certain things to kind of get away from it. What do you get you do to get away from baseball when you're not at the field? Uh, I'm a little bit of a video game nerd. Um, okay. Definitely like that. I'll, I'll play with my brother sometimes and stuff like that, or I'll get caught up on the, uh, the NHL hockey game. So I like to, I, I just, I get real competitive. And so I guess when I leave the field, nothing changes there. Is there a, a game of choice? You said NHL, or do you play Fortnite too? Or uh, I, I used to, but no, nah, NHL is probably the game of choice. Okay. I was curious, when when the new uh, Major League Baseball, the show comes out, uh, will it have Colin Poche in it? And, and if not, <laughs> what lefty do you play with? <laughs> uh, man, I hope I'm in it. That'd be, that'd be a really cool, something you dream of from a long time, but... Uh... Um, there's definitely some great lefties in the game, you know, like Chris Sales, probably the best lefty, if not the best pitcher in the whole league. And you've got a good lefty to learn from too. Several of them in the, the organization too, whether it's Blake Snell or Ryan Yarborough, um, Snell, a Cy Young award winner, Yarborough, who's, you know, a little more crafty, um, both do it in, you know, both successful last year and very different ways. And hopefully you're going to be one of those lefties that's helping us out uh, sooner than later. Congratulations on the honors you won last year, a championship, and uh, we look forward to chatting more with you uh, once spring training starts and uh, hard to believe just a couple of weeks. Yep, it's coming up quick. Thanks, Neil.
Real interesting stuff from Colin Poche and looking forward to getting to know him a little bit better. Again, you can catch the full list of our race spring training roster, raceradio.mlblogs.com. Now, a couple guys who won't be going to spring training, really not a surprise, are two guys that uh, I found very interesting to have a chat with during uh, the race hitting camp a little bit over a week ago down in Port Charlotte. Uh, they are the two two-way players in the race system. They'll be up for the pitching camp, too. That's Brennan McKay, um, who, of course, is now in his second full year in the system, and Tanner Dodson, who's about to start his first. Uh, now, Brennan probably did a little bit better on the pitching side than the hitting side last year, but he's still considered a top 50 prospect in the game. I had a chance to find out from him a little bit about what he learned in his first full year pitching and hitting as a pro. first full year was a lot of uh, ups and downs, um, just learn how to adapt to a full season. You know, you're, I guess you're somewhat used to it playing college ball, but it's not every day uh, in a grind like it is now in, in minor league baseball. Um, but you know, went through some uh, struggles, you know, just trying to figure things out as you move up in each level and uh, adapting to new playing styles and better players, and then having a couple injuries uh, and setbacks. It's tough to deal with that, but you got to keep moving. How did it help you in the off season? Uh, in terms of your preparation, or did it change anything that you did in terms of getting ready for 2019? Uh, just made me more aware of what you need to do. Um, you know, obviously you can't control injuries up to a certain point. You can control them until um, some things may just happen that you can't control, and uh, it happens. So just take care of your body as much as you can, and uh, be in a spot when you come into spring training where you're going to be as healthy as you can, and uh, make it as, make it through a full season and have a great year. Did you do anything different? Like, have you added more weight, subtracted weight? Is your body any different, let's say, now than it was at this time a year ago? No, I think I'm at a great place right now. Uh, really just trying to work on maintaining um, as much muscle as I can and uh, not really losing it throughout the season, which which could have led to uh, a couple injuries last year, but who knows? Uh, that's tough to figure out with that. But just come in and be able to do your job and have – have fun honestly was the greatest challenge was it more mental or physical for you combination of both just the the mental side of playing every day you get worn out and then also that you wear you wear out your body throughout a long season uh playing every day not getting much rest and different months too i mean yeah you, I, I would imagine this is the first time you might have played some in summer ball in the heat but this is kind of a different kind of heat correct yes uh <laughs> i think it was my probably i came down here probably right as it started to warm up in in uh june you're super hot every day come out here take bp and you're soaked before you even finish doing your stretches so it's a different kind of heating but it's fun to play in though it's fun to feel loose and be in good weather how helpful is this organization being in embracing what you're trying to do and how much how much have you appreciated it it's great i think with uh, a lot more growth in baseball now it's perfect it, it adds a lot more uh, ability to expand your rosters like I've said many times uh, you can take a, a roster from 25 during the regular season to 27 or 28 if you have potentially extra guys that can do it and it makes your lineup a little bit more useful than if you had strict like, you know so many pitchers so many hitters things like that Tanner Dodson was drafted last year, and he's the second player of the race of drafted who do both. What advice would you have for him if he were to ask you about doing this on a full-time basis now? Embrace it. There's going to be a lot of people that 
either say, you know, you can, you can move so much quicker if you do one or the other. Um, but if, if you're committed to it and you enjoy it and it's a part of you, keep doing it until uh, you can't do it anymore or you get to that point where, yeah, I think I'm ready to just do one at that point. How do you want to grow this year in both areas? It's become more refined. Uh, as a hitter, have better quality at bats, um, you know, hit for a little more, more power, a little more average, cut down on strikeouts, just do everything that a baseball player wants to do in a, in a season, have a, have a good season. And from the pitching side, just uh, grow, grow a little more, learn a little bit more from uh, some older players and some, some staff members that can talk to you and just keep competing and wanting to get better every day. You know, offensively, you hear so much today about launch angle mm -hmm. and, and how people are modifying their swing. Is there anything you've done or are doing with your swing that may be noticeable if someone saw you last year and what they'll see this year? Uh, from my standpoint, I don't think I've done anything different. I don't. I get what what launch angle is, but you don't really necessarily have to change anything in your swing. It could all, all it could be is more uh, changing your contact point of where you hit the ball or maybe just a small change, nothing too dramatic where it's, you gotta work on it consistently to make a bigger change where it's, if it's just a small change, it could be a couple weeks in a cage, taking you know, 100, 150 swings a day, working on it, but trying to refine it at that time too. I saw this off season, you had a pretty neat honor. Mm -hmm. um, the school, your high school is honoring you as a what wall of fame, which only Sean Miller and Dante Calabria have been. What does it mean to be only the third and the first baseball player too. I think it's great. Uh, you don't see a whole lot of a lot of recognition for baseball players out of the Northeast, and I guess you could say athletes in general, just because of uh, it's a smaller area, a lot more. It's uh, not as big of a I guess athletic pool that you pull from, uh, but I think it's a great honor to be recognized by your high school and and staff and faculty members and even students that it, they necessarily know who I am but don't have a face to put it with and to be able to see me and to get to talk to him about things. The most famous guy from your town, your hometown, is Joe Namath. Have yeah. you ever had the chance to meet him and what would it mean to do so if you haven't? I don't think I've uh, officially met him. I know my dad is, he's done some uh, remodeling on a, one of his family members' houses that's in the area, but I think it would be neat to sit down and talk with him and pick his brain about just being an athlete in general and uh, some of the things that he's done throughout his career. Good stuff from Brendan McKay, and we certainly look forward to his second full year as a pitcher and hitter in the race system. Now, as mentioned, Tanner Dodson was just drafted last year out of the University of California at Berkeley, uh, and he performed quite well. Now, he's a bit different from uh, Brendan McKay in that he's a center fielder, not an infielder, uh, and that he's a reliever and not a starter. Uh, and he's also a switch hitter, which I think makes him even all the more intriguing. Um, so the first thing I asked uh, Tanner Dodson when I sat down with him in Port Charlotte is how this all started for him, pitching and hitting. Um, I just think growing up, like just being around the game, I literally get started like your be best player, he's pitcher, shortstop, center fielder. So that's where it started. It carried on to high school and then college. My first year, I actually didn't get to hit at all, but they kept letting me work out as a hitter and everything. And then sophomore year, I kind of just... Worked my way in the lineup and ran with it, just having a lot of fun out there. Did you, was it something you always hoped to do? 
professionally? When did it start to enter your mind that, hey, professionally, I might be able to do both? Um, so deciding on college, first off, like a big part of me, a lot of schools wanted me just as a pitcher. And a big part of my decision was I wanted to play the outfield too and at least have an opportunity. So when that happened my sophomore year, I, I performed pretty well. I went to the Cape Cod and they let me hit a little bit too. I worked my way in the lineup again. It wasn't like a guarantee and I won the batting title there. And kind of that's when I think it became realistic that I could possibly do both in pro ball. How do you divide both? Because you're a switch hitter. So you not only have to divide multiple positions, but multiple sides of the plate. How do you balance your time? Um, it's just kind of, I don't know, it kind of depends week to week, I guess. Some weeks maybe I need a little more pitching, I think, than other weeks. Some weeks I might need more right-handed swings and left-handed swings. So I kind of just let the gameplay, I guess, dictate how I'm feeling. So I'm feeling comfortable one side, maybe a little less swings than the other side or something like that or vice versa. Doing both, does it help hitting to pitch and pitching knowing what hitters are trying to do at the plate? Do you think that makes you more prepared in each mentally? I, I think at times it does. I think it, it helps me as like as a pitcher I can kind of think as a hitter mentality up there and like kind of what I want to see and kind of maybe throw something opposite or even as a as a pitcher knowing what I'm hitting and certain counts what I want might want to throw in that uh, certain situation and kind of just I don't know play percentages I guess in that situation. You're unique in that you're in an organization that is embracing this. Have you talked much with Brennan McKay since being drafted and if so what kind of communications have you guys had? Uh, we don't really like, I mean, we don't really talk about the two-way. We like, like yesterday we were playing catch because we're both the hitters camp. We're the only two pitchers here. So it's kind of just like, we both, I think, kind of just like mutually know that we, we're kind of different too. He's a starter, I'm a reliever. So it's a little different from both of us. But here and there we do talk about like the management and all that, but nothing too major. Give me your earliest baseball memories because your dad played minor league baseball for what, nearly 10 seasons? Yeah, yeah I, uh, I like faintly remember, I was actually like, when I was young, I remember I was really scared of all the mascots at the game. I was like a baby and I, that's kind of what I remember. Like my parents always tell me those stories and I don't know why, but anytime the mascot would come up, I'd be like hiding behind like my grandpa's leg or something. I was scared of that and I kind of remember that. That's about it. Earliest thing for me. Did your dad push you to get involved or were there other sports you played and when did baseball become for you? Growing up, like when I was young, young, I played baseball, soccer and basketball and then I kept playing basketball until high school. I quit in my junior year when baseball kind of ran away and became a more realistic option for college for me. So growing up, my dad didn't push me or anything. He just kind of let me do whatever I wanted. He, he, he encouraged me to play both sports too. He wanted me to keep it open for me too. Did you ever look up what he did or how much conversation do you have and how helpful has he been to you? Uh, I don't look up too much about it. I mean, like, he's, he's just really helpful, I guess, nowadays on the mental side and just getting me ready for the minor league grind. I mean, he did it for many years, so he's just kind of prepared me in that situation now. And this offseason, I hit with him every day. He plays catch with me still. He's still going at 48, so it's pretty cool to do that. But draft day, you guys got to be together, too. What was that moment like when you got picked? It was awesome. I mean, my dad just hugged me. We were both just, it was a lot of, we were just both anxious, just kind of waiting. We, it's an unknown. We don't know where I'm going, what city I'll be playing in next. So we were just both really happy for me to just get to live my dream, basically. So what do you think will be the greatest challenge this year? It's your first full season doing both, and it's obviously a much longer campaign than the college season or a half season of ball. I think just probably the mental grind for me. I've never played a hundred and whatever games it is 140 plus games so 
I think the mental grind's going to be the hardest and just not staying too up, not staying too down, just kind of staying even-keeled throughout the season. So growing up in California, who were the players that you rooted for? Who were the guys that you wanted to emulate? Obviously, you had a pretty good example at home. I actually grew up a big Chipper Jones fan. I'm an Atlanta Braves fan. I don't know how it started, but I guess from growing up, I used to tell my great-grandmother she would throw me wiffle balls, and I told her in the backyard I was Chipper Jones when I was three years old. So I've just been a Chipper Jones fan my whole life, and that's kind of who I grew up watching. Is that how switch hitting began? Uh, I don't know. I kind of actually started switch hitting in high school. So it was, it's it's a little like, I don't know, it just happened. And how about on the mound? Who Who's your favorite guy that you like to watch? I like watching DeGrom now. I know he was a two-way in college, too. It kind of worked out like that. I just like how he's super athletic and really whippy on the mound. So that's who I like now. And what do you like to do away from the field to relax? Because it's I, I'm sure it's important not to be engaged 24-7. Uh, during season, it's a lot of video games, so that's, I, that's the easiest thing to do, I think. So a couple of the buddies on the team, me and Tyler Frank, play a lot of Fortnite together, play a lot of Call of Duty with my roommate from college, and play a lot of video games during the season. And I like to hang out with my friends when they're home and all that stuff, just spend time with the family. So are you good at Fortnite? or? Uh, I'm okay now. I used to be really good. I took a little time off this offseason. I haven't been playing as much, but I'm, I'm all right now. Have you tried playing Blake or connecting with him, uh-uh. Snell? I have no. not. No, he's... I don't have to. <laughs> I heard he's pretty good. He streams, I think. Yes. Yeah. You're not on Twitch? Or... No, no, I'm not. I'm, I, I like to stay low-key. And very much look forward to how this year goes for Tanner Dodson as uh, he becomes a two-way player on a full season level. Uh, we'll see where he lands, too, in the race minor league system this year. Well, we certainly appreciate Tanner and also Brendan McKay for being with us, Colin Pochet, and, of course, Andy Freed as well. Uh, as Things evolve during the course of spring training. We'll have all of it on our blog, raceradio.moblogs.com. You can follow me on Twitter, at Neil Solon. Same for at Rays Radio. And, of course, uh, we'll have plenty of podcasts to go along with our Countdown to Opening Day show. Again, as things evolve, as there are some interesting interviews, we'll be sure to post those. So stay tuned for that. Thanks again for being with us. We'll talk to you soon. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.